0: and Kirsten get to work. We're talking about decision-making, and we know you've made at least one good decision because you're listening today. Good job. (laughs) Great start.
1: (laughs) Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Karina Hoyer. And I'm Kirsten Barron. And we are so happy that you've joined us today because... We want to talk all about making decisions because, you know, what you decide to do. We want to talk all about. All about whatever.
0: <laughs> By the way, listeners, I don't know if you can hear the Robins in the background. It's like we're Disney princesses. I can't decide if we're Cinderella or Snow White, but it's like the Robins are singing to us in the background. <laughs> it's very disconcerting, <laughs> actually.
1: In the snow. I can actually see There's my nothing about
0: to. me that feels Disney princess, frankly. Really? Not a thing. No, but I like that.
1: Yeah, that's true. I can see yeah, that. I, I don't like necessarily that. want to be a Disney princess either. No. Mm-mm. that's Okay. A, that's another good decision that we've made another today. good
0: decision, no Disney princess. I'm going to say
1: the one decision, that bad decision that I know you've made is you interrupt me. I didn't get to the ease, meaning, and joy. Oh, let's get there right now. Yeah, so. that's the most important that part. That is the most important part. So we are here because we want working women and all women, frankly, to have ease, meaning, and joy in their lives and Amen. at work. Absolutely. Um. But I am so excited to talk about this subject today. It's a great, it's a great topic. Decisions. It's a wonderful topic um, because I'm so fascinated mm-hmm. by how people make decisions. But before we jump into that, you have been uh, doing some serious
0: research to- on another. I've had a big month. It's Black History Month. It's been a great month for me. I've like gone to all sorts of fun events and I'm reading interesting books. Right now I'm reading So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Aluo, which is wonderful. She's a graduate of Western. Um, Western she, Washington University. Western Washington. Thank you. Western Washington University for our listeners in Romania. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Romania. Just saw you the other day. Come on board. And I listened to a great talk by Yvette Carnell about reparations and understanding that reparations is not about giving money. That might be part of it, but it's really about systemic and institutional change. That's the only way to make real reparations. And she also, fascinatingly, really talked about American descendants of slaves. Huh. That's her. She's like, we got to find the American descendants of slaves, the ADOS folks. And it was just great. And then there's... um, Professor John Powell, who is a lawyer, so you know, there's that lawyer thing for me, but he's done all sorts of equity work, and I heard him speak, and I'm reading Washington Black. And I just feel like this has been, I'll be honest with you, it's been hard, but that's the work, right? I have to do my hard work.
1: Yeah, yeah. And are these things, do you do this kind of researching and digging in for
0: most months, or is this specific to Black History Month? And you're like, I do this, I do this for most months. Yeah, but the opportunities have been huge this month. So that's the difference. I'm getting more opportunities than I would have in other months. Yeah, but yeah, this is a really important topic for me. Mm-hmm. It is. It's one of my. It's one of my key things.
1: Yeah, it's one of your big things. I'm so yeah. glad, and I'm so glad to to be able to learn alongside you and hear about the things that you're reading and, and hearing and listening to and researching, et cetera. You're right. It's hard. It's hard. It and, is hard.
0: But heartening. That we finally have a president who talks about white supremacy as being something, you know, uh, not but just so, isolated. Right. To the Ku Klux it's not Klein. the KKK. He talks about it in the way that is so real. So I think there's lots of reasons to be hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway.
1: I'm glad. Thanks, Thanks for
0: you. asking about that. No, I'm
1: glad you brought that check yeah. in. I mm-hmm. just, I wanted, I'm, yeah. It's always fascinating to me, and I'm. I gotta say, I'm just really respect you for the deep dives that you do in subjects like this. You're so. I nice. mean, I told you basically February for me is two uh-huh. things. It's a birthday for my kid and a birthday for me, and the rest of the time month. I was just like sit in like my cave and just like wait for it to but get over. But you
0: know that I know there's you know there's nothing ever wrong with a birthday month. Everybody <laughs> should have a birthday month. I'm all for the birthday <laughs> month for everybody.
1: Oh, I know. I had a I had a milestone birthday, and my family really we pulled out. just call it birth month. All the you stops. did. You turned. You turned. Thirty-two. A <laughs> I did. I'm, the officially, I'm officially the big 5 You know what's really funny about that? If I could just loop us back to our decision-making subject, um, I just take care of that kind of stuff in my family. I'm the person who normally does the planning for the birthdays mm-hmm. or whatever, the get-togethers mm-hmm. or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, that my husband and my sister decided to do something as a surprise. I didn't know about it. And afterwards, so... Social distanced around the fire. My sister brought food. Everyone had their own separate, you know, um, stuff, takeout food that she brought. But what was interesting was that she and my husband talked about how together they were like, I don't know. Cream's the one who does this. How much food are we supposed to bring? What are we going to do? We, you know, and so it's so funny where they made a ton of decisions that I didn't have to make. And because it was a surprise and because I, you know, wasn't involved in the pre-planning. Yep. I had a completely different experience. Oh, interesting. It was
0: really interesting. Was it more enjoyable?
1: It was it did seem more enjoyable. Like I mm. just released myself from all of these like the responsibility. Where are people going to sit? How are we going to keep everybody warm? Food? Do they have enough food? What are we going to they need something to drink? Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy to me because we make those kinds of decisions all day for other people. Long.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and even for ourselves. Yeah.
1: Do I want toast or cereal? You yes. know what I mean? Yes. Do I am I going to um so and am I going to walk to that event or drive? Do I want to say yes to that meeting? Do I want to go to sleep now? Like, Do I want like, to volunteer on that thing? Like our brains are constantly making decisions. From the second we wake up. And I rarely have an opportunity to sort of observe a situation where the onus of the decision making mm-hmm. is usually mine and I'm not doing it.
0: I have to tell you, I've had those experiences more recently in my life as my kids have gotten older and I love them so much. I love them so much. What do you love about them? I love just being able to enjoy something. Uh huh. That's my only job is to enjoy it. Yeah, and I just get such pleasure out of that. Yeah, and it's funny how I would say
1: making decisions gives me pleasure, but I hear what you. But what you just said really resonated for me, which is, if my only job is to Mm -hmm. love, like to enjoy it. Mm It's a completely different experience. experience.
0: I will tell you, I feel way more comfortable giving that experience to others. I'll be honest. I Hmm. feel way more comfortable. Like you're talking about making the decisions, doing the thing, putting it together, making sure everything's okay. I feel super comfortable in that role. Yeah. Um, and because I'm more, because I, you know how when you're more comfortable with things and we'll talk about this more in decision making, that's where you gravitate your that's, comfort. Yeah. But boy, I sure do like sitting on my, you know what? Have people <laughs> bring me the, you know what?
1: <laughs> Which is crazy. This is the whole reason why we had to talk to a focus group about yes. decision making yes. because you and I are exactly so the same. Similar. We're just like, yeah, okay, was, we'll just gross. do it. It's gross.
0: <laughs> do you have five seconds? We can make that decision. Yeah, I
1: got it. I don't even know if it's going to be a right one or not, but I'll do but it. We'll make
0: it. And here's the here's the thing though, Karina, you and I both in our jobs have the privilege of watching people make decisions all day long. Is it a privilege? It's a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. We watch people make decisions all day long. And it's fascinating to see them do it. And as somebody who's there to be a supporter, a provider of service, how do I help you with this? Yeah. You know, helping people figure out how to make decisions is a lot of how I spend my time. Oh,
1: yeah. It's the reason why I didn't call myself a coach when I started my consulting business. And I I call myself an advisor. So I'm like, I'll just tell you. I will I'll just tell you. I'm not going to coach you. I am not. I'm just going to make the decisions for you. However, I agree with you. There is this place where we're watching people, mm-hmm. and I am fascinated by it. I have a client. I've watched one client in particular make desi- like make snap decisions that are shocking to me. Arresting. Arresting. Like, like ooh, where'd that come from? What? No data, no mm-hmm. research no experience previously just you know like just random out seemingly out of nowhere
0: and what's so interesting about that Karina is that that's the reason we wanted to do the focus groups so I think you and I don't feel comfortable digging into our clients with like yeah why did you just make that decision with no data yeah. or why did you do I mean grilling a client about their process you know is a little weird frankly yeah seriously what the they're Fudge. like, you're not my psychologist, Kirsten. And like i like, I'm not? Oh, that's right. I'm not licensed for that. <laughs> Wait, no. But then, I know.
1: And so I see other clients agonizing. Mm-hmm. Agonizing over decisions that are, in my opinion, sort of rote. Yeah, They're akin to,
0: what are you going to eat for lunch? It's really not that hard. And you, if make a mistake, you can eat something in your next meal different.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the implications aren't that hard. Um, and, you know, we heard... Um, In the focus group that we did with our lovely listeners, um, other people people have a lot of other ways to deal with decisions too. So I'm really Mm -hmm. excited to dig into those um, a little bit Mm -hmm. later. And I have to say, right off the bat, those focus groups.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, they're so great. These amazing women who show up. You know, they've read a little something we've given them. They've thought about the topic to varying degrees. One of our Focus group participants had done all this independent research on decision-making theory and game theory, and it was just great. And then another listener shows up, and she's like, this is the way I do it. And she gives us, like, one, two, three, four, five. Here's how it works. Another so one's, was, like, running. She
1: Zooms comes in on her
0: the end of her exactly. run. She runs in on the Zoom. So great. No, it's just the best. It's so fun. Like, these women are just amazing people. Yeah, so uh, these That's ha- the best thing to know. Like, that's the thing that's so great about this, Karina— we're talking to these six women here, these five women here, whatever. And Those are our listeners. And so when you and I are talking in here, that's what I imagine. Just all these like amazing people out there. So hello to you amazing people. Yeah.
1: And if you ever, a listener, want to kind of get in on this, follow us on social media because periodically we ask for input because, frankly, we don't know everything. We know mostly everything. (laughs) (laughs) But every once in a while, we need a little help figuring something out. You know, this decision-making thing, though, was so confounding to me that not only did I have to talk to our listeners to hear about their processes, I had to do like two days worth of know, research you on really brain science. Got,
0: you really got down and dirty with decision making. I know. You kept sending me stuff and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> do I have to read this too? But oh. it was good stuff. It was good stuff. I'm glad I read
1: it. Yeah, it'll be like 17 articles in the show notes for the show <laughs> because I couldn't stop myself. It's so fascinating. And one of the most interesting things about decision making brain research um, is that it's only, it's a, it's a relatively new field. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the brain research has been done to try to figure out why people, uh, particularly addicts, consistently make poor decisions. Like, what is going on there? That you keep
0: making that bad choice over and over. yeah, Yeah. Why
1: can you not learn from this and move on? I mean, of course, we know. There's a lot of research on brain on decision making with teens and the prefrontal cortex isn't
0: being developed. Impulse control, all of that stuff, brain development, all that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But there is this really, there's a lot of interesting research out there. And I want to talk just briefly about that if you don't mind. Oh, I'd love it. What was your, what, what, what did you glean from that, those 17 articles I sent you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what I gleaned from it is when you look at this is the way it always is with our research and data, which is why we ground ourselves in that. It contextualizes the issue for you. Yeah. When you know about the things that you're going to talk about, your unconscious bias, how people make, des- you know, systems of decision-making, how emotions fit into your decision. I mean, the takeaway is, oh yeah, that all makes sense, given my own experience. Right. Right. Yeah. Or I'm a freak show. Why did I do that? I have to stop doing that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: contextualizes whether or not, yeah, your decisions make sense or not. And I, and I think the, the, like you just said one of the things that I want to start with, which was this notion of unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. And I know we did, which an, is
0: also in that race work I talked about in the very beginning. Oh, that is the, yes? that is probably one of the biggest issues in the, in, in racial equity is people's unconscious biases.
1: Interesting. Yeah, so this is a
0: big deal, unconscious bias, so hit it, sister. Well, it is a big deal,
1: and we talked about this in our um, episode about trusting your gut. Mm -hmm. But unconscious bias is this, like, it's this process where we just decide based on sort of gut instinct, and we don't do a ton of work thinking something through, right? And it's
0: based on, it's, think of it as being steeped in the soup, right? If you're yeah. steeped in the chicken soup, back to the food analogies. <laughs> oh my God. It just never if ends. You're steeped <laughs> in the chicken soup, you're chicken. If you're steeped in the beef stew, you're, you know, you're beef. So whatever you're steeped in, it's the things you pick up from your culture. It's like so many things you're not even aware that you believe. That's
1: right. That's right. You don't even recognize that you're believing them. And you just sort of assume them to be true. true. They just, yeah, you assume them to be true. Well, a lot, it's really funny. The two different the brain science is so new that two different people have won recently won Nobel prizes because of their research Fancy. on decision making and in, in, um, in the brain. And one guy, this guy Daniel Kahneman. Um, Wrote he won the Nobel Prize in Economics and he and he he sort of laid the groundwork for a lot of the decision making research to move from there and this was in two thousand and two so it's like less than twenty years old which is amazing but he did he identified sort of two different systems that are working um, in concert to help you move towards decision
0: and I think what I liked about this his how he discusses this is you said in concert and sometimes they overlap. You go back and forth, you have a strength in one, a strength in the other. So I liked it that it wasn't black and white, but blended.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and he and even goes on to say, so they're called system one and system two. I mean what great creative names. I know. That was awesome. It took me a minute to figure out fiction writer. How did we pronounce that? But it's those, uh, so system one is like your snap judgment, the things that rely on your unconscious bias. And a lot of people make decisions like this throughout the day, right? It's it's the things like, I like this, I don't like this. That person looks suspicious, that person doesn't. I want to hire this person. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you, you know, just because. I gravitate towards that person. I like this guy, that guy's dangerous. Like all, mm-hmm. all of those sort of snap decisions. And it's really good to pay attention to and of what's going on in your internal process when you find yourself in those situations.
0: And having said that, that's a very efficient way to be in the world. Yeah. It's very efficient to know like it's just part of my it's just part of my makeup that I don't really make a decision about my breakfast. I just go grab this thing and I don't it's unconscious almost that I just do it because you know that's what really works for me. So a lot of this is efficiency. It's just sometimes we are captive to the you know, perils of our efficiency.
1: That's right, right. Meaning, you're making a decision, an efficient decision, based on potentially inaccurate information. Correct, right?
0: Yeah. And while it's efficient, it's a really bad decision. <laughs> At, or, right.
1: Turnout so at work he studied people who he believed who he watched making really effective snap decisions. Most likely, most of them were like firefighter fire mm-hmm. chiefs and, and emergency responders. And he was he re- realized that
0: actually they were all making incredibly d- difficult, complex, complex decisions. Numbers of factors, numbers of outcomes, numbers of possibilities.
1: Directing people were all based on System One, and that's because this is a skill you can hone.
0: And that was what that was the difference is that in those cases with those kinds of folks that he was looking at that those decisions were based on a tremendous amount of experience. That's right. So they actually had all the data in their head and they were just so facile with it that it looked just like they were deciding it. But they actually had done all the processing. Already. Yeah, it
1: looked like. Yeah. It, and, and I think this is really interesting with work because. It really speaks to the importance of experience, Mm -hmm. especially when you're in a job that requires snap decisions. And I think of leaders in a lot of ways. I think that some of the best leaders are, are again, steeped in the work. And so they can make very quick system one decisions. Live in this system one, but with good information. But with good information, not simply unconscious bias. Not everybody, but a lot of folks can Mm The system two way of decision making is, as you can imagine, much more analytical, much more rational, slow, controlled, and it really allows you to sort of weigh consequences, A or B. Now, it has its downsides too, and I think we all know people
0: who get stuck. I paralysis. Yeah, they just. It makes me nuts.
1: Yeah, it, and it's <clears> interesting <throat> because, I, in one of the articles we read, and I wrote this quote, system two decision making can insulate you from c- the corrosive effects of fear and emotions. And, it, and I put a bunch of question marks in our notes about it because I was like, what in the hell mm-hmm. does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I think I get it. I'm curious what you think about that. You go first. No, I've, I've okay, actually I'll probably been talking for like seven minutes no, now. No, you
0: haven't. Um, so when I think that you, I think that system two, that rational decision making can can insulate you because you put all your energy into options and information and you just focus what you're doing here. are The options here's the information. What do you think it is?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. It says it. Was, so again, it can insulate you from cor- the corrosive effects of fear and emotions. And I'm thinking, I don't know if the word corrosive is right in there, but I, I, I yeah, it's like.
0: But for wait, some people, you can. We'll talk about emotions and how they play into decisions later. But emotions really do get in the way of decisions. Right. Bless my uh, paralegal's heart. She is getting ready to consider putting her dog to sleep. Ah. Uh. And I'm sitting there talking with her, and as this is a great way to point out, it's all emotion. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The decision is it's fascinating to watch. It's all emotion. Yeah, right? And so if she were to be able to like talk about the prognosis and the da 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 and the suffering and this and that, she could focus on those things and ignore her emotions. yeah. She's not. But she's but not. But she could. But, yeah. the, but this system, too, does allow you to do that.
1: Yeah, because you're you're right, making a list of pros and cons. Yep. You're mm-hmm. weighing this, You're weighing that. Rational. You're, Matt, rational. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of our focus group participants, too, I feel like people were pretty adept at system one. Oh. You know, we had a business owner. We ha- Well, we had several business yep. several business owners. Mm-hmm. We had um, somebody who does emergency management or works as, as a volunteer firefighter. I think, and even when they're talking about their own processes, they talked a lot about just being able to settle into just like making quick decisions based Mm -hmm. on sort of their gut instinct, And I also think that there were, it was a relatively mature group.
0: A lot. There was people that, that, that category of enough experience to know to make the faster decision. Yeah. The system one decision. Yes, definitely. There was a lot, there were a lot of people in that group that had the experience to make the decision. And what my observation is, is that, When people, when that group articulated a struggle with the decision, I think it was because they didn't have experience. Yeah. That was my observation. Not in every case for sure, but that was definitely a common theme.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, Nor maybe, uh, yeah, they didn't have experience. They could find the information, but they didn't necessarily have the experience. And Mm -hmm. I think it's funny is, you know, you and I might be totally, I don't know if you're exactly like this or not, but I... I will I will live and breathe system 1 decision making all day long but with no informa- like no experience.
0: I see I'm the, I, I am I am fast like you but I when I don't have the experience to make a decision I quickly drop into 2. And you do the analysis. I do the analysis. And that's because I'm a researcher, right? Lawyers mm-hmm. are researchers, right? We have to be... We, and everything we say has to have some kind of footnote or citation or or somebody saying, besides me, it's right. Although most people would say, I just say what I want to say, even if it's not Well, right. that's just what's
1: so funny. But yeah, yeah I was going to say, like, you, you know, you, of course, you're always a researcher. You have a ton of experience. I'm realizing that one of my biggest downfalls is my willingness to make decision-system-one decisions. like Without my, sufficient information. Yeah, my blind spot has always been the, the fact that i need more information in order to charge
0: because i'll just go let's yeah. just do it which it's, there's a benefit to that too
1: okay we have to move on though because there's a um just the final piece that i think research was interesting was really the role of decision of emotions and decision making mm-hmm.
0: and there was one fascinating study i love this part yeah go do you want to talk about it? i no i just want to say how i love this part because i do think that um, when I watch my clients make decisions, it is the emotional part that seems difficult sometimes for them, mm-hmm. right? To recognize how their emotions are pulling them one way or another, mm-hmm. and because I'm at a you know fifty thousand feet up, I'm not living the problem they're living in the same way. Sometimes I'll I'll call this out to them. It looks like you feel this way or are you feeling this way or is this in your da And they oftentimes are like, oh, yes. Because people forget. They think when they're making decisions, it's like data points mm-hmm. and emotions are incredibly important. And you can talk about the data because you're data girl today.
1: I don't know how that happened. Well, I think what you just said is really sort of a precursor or a mm-hmm. foreshadowing what I'm about to talk about with, with regards to emotions and that is, The emotions play an incredibly critical part in decision-making. And so we've been told, especially as women, fucking patriarchy,
0: that you know the effing patriarchy
1: effing patriarchy that 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 emotions don't have a role in decision making that in fact the the best decisions are the ones that are calculated and measured and you know by made by people with penises and it's just like come on emotions actually play a critical role and you see that in your clients we see, we see it in the research as well yeah okay so this guy antonio damasio um Great name. Yeah. Hello. Um, he did a study on um, people. Who, he did multiple studies on people who were recovering from some kind of brain injury that impacted the part of their brain responsible for emotions. Prefrontal cortex. That's right. And what he realized is that uh, people who... who this one man in particular, I believe his name was Elliot, was the be- the first person he studied. And Elliot had had some sort of cancer. They took it out. They took out in part his brain, in part his of his brain.
0: prefrontal cortex,
1: and he so he could no longer he was no longer impacted by emotional things in the same way. So he wasn't he didn't feel emotions as deeply as he had before. So it was you know it was obvious that he was experiencing emotions in a much um, different way. And he, at the same time, he struggled. He struggled immensely with decisions, both large and small.
0: And And as an aside, this guy, his IQ, his memory, his language, his learning... All that's intact. Yeah, all of it was intact. Study after study, IQ, nothing had been changed. The only thing that had been
1: changed is emotions. So Damasio gets in there and starts taking a look at the neurological link between in the brain and discovered that actually decisions are made by a combination of three different regions in our brain, one of which is the prefrontal cortex where emotions live. And so without that and frankly without any one of the three areas of the brain that link them all together your ability to make decisions is significantly impacted which is so interesting mm-hmm. because brain development uh neurolog- like neurons connect like the connections brain health it all plays into a how role. you make decisions uh, into how you make decisions and i
0: know that listeners have seen this you have known somebody with a brain injury or some kind of brain Um, some kind of problem in their brain that causes them to make really bad decisions, right? We see that. People that lose impulse control. So it's interesting that it's not just about the damage to the brain. In this case, with this patient, Elliot, it was specifically about his inability to process emotions, impacting negatively his ability to make decisions. Yeah. So everybody out there who's using their emotions to make their decisions, have at it. I mean, not all of it, but, you know, good... Super sauce. Yeah, it plays a role, mm-hmm. and um, and that that Dimaggio guy um, confirmed his findings in many many other patients. Yeah, so it wasn't just Elliot. Yeah, and I think
1: that he, that was sort of the precursor to a lot of the research that have been, has been done on trauma, mm-hmm. like childhood trauma and brain development, and all of that. Like, it's really interesting how your brain develops, especially in the early years, but you know, even further on in life. Um, and how you how that impacts your decisions. I guess the final thing for me is just abundance. And I want to talk briefly about uh, the uh, the research. No, really, I did like 17 articles. Like it just keeps going on and on.
0: Um, <laughs> it's just the impact. I know. I read your, them. Yeah, I know. Of your mindset. Yes. Right? And we talk about this a lot. And it's like really a common theme in the show frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Like that how open you feel
1: mm-hmm. if you have an abundance mindset, it really does. Science again proves that it it helps you make better decisions. But what one of our focus group members showed talked to about which was fascinating was the other piece that a, an abundance of choice is not always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Now she told a story about being in Poland, I believe it was. Yep. And you know, there are you don't have a lot of choices. You're having, like, there's one can of tomato sauce, and that's it. Yeah. And she spoke to a Polish woman about sort of all of the wasted time and energy that Americans um,
0: spend. Mm-hmm. Making on, decisions. On trivial on decisions. On which mustard.
1: Yeah, on which, yeah. On which
0: mustard. What, what yeah, too have? many choices can really hinder you.
1: Yeah. So I guess for me, all of that research really brought home sort of the experience that I talked about in the beginning, which was how people make decisions is so fascinating and
0: so complex. It's complex. It is. And it's so personal, too. It's so personal. Which is why I think people really need to be aware of this, because, I mean, all of, you know, we said this in our show a couple of um, weeks ago. It's like, you're going to be somebody different at the end of the year. You know, yeah. who do you want to be? That's a decision. Yeah. yeah. Right. All of this ties into that. Yeah. Um, let's. Are we ready to talk some more about our listener focus group? I would love to. Okay. Because there are some things that I have taken away from watching my clients, reading the gazillions of articles that you sent me. You're welcome. I want to be supportive. (laughs) And talking with the listener focus group. And that is that I think... The folks that have an easier time making decisions and especially being happy with those decisions, are people who generally have a better knowledge of themselves. Yeah. right? What is it that you like? What do you don't like? What don't you like? Are you familiar with this area comfortable making decisions? you know, how much do you know? Mm-hmm. So um, how do you-, you what are you comfortable rationalizing? Mm-hmm. What are you comfortable rationalizing? Can you live with, you know, how do you live with the consequences of this? What happens if it goes bad? So, you know, understanding your own fear, your own risk aversion, your anxiety, your personality style, all of those things are really important. We have one listener who I think has finally honed that for herself. Mm -hmm. And she basically said, I've read a lot of books. I've figured out the things in my life that I value and that are important to me, and that is the lens through which I make decisions, mm-hmm. right? It's like anytime time somebody asks me to lie or to not tell the truth, I'm like, game over. Right. That's easy. Game right. over. That's not the decision I'm going with. There are those kinds of rules that you can follow when you make decisions, and um, knowing those about yourself make it a whole lot easier. Right. Right.
1: And I, you know, that was a um, result of, it sounds to me, like you said, a lot of work, a lot (laughs) of deep personal work. And I think that 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 is true. You know, she was on the zoom call having to make decisions for her children. And she's like, no to the TV, you know, you you have to eat this. And those were all very, you know, like she she
0: says, I have gone through what I've already made that decision because I've decided how we're going to, how I'm going to raise my children. Right. So that was, and what I also liked another listener said, Her way of phrasing that was, am I comfortable? And I thought that was more of an intuitive style, but I think it reflected the same thing. I know who I am. I know what I want and like and who I want to be. And am I comfortable with this decision? That's right. So different ways of expressing it, but very similar concepts. And also, I was going to say the one, and also how comfortable am I with risk? Yeah, that was when things, how, yeah, how risk averse are And I
1: think that, you know, when I'm watching my some of my clients, like, labor over decisions and analyze and analyze and analyze and analyze and ask and poll and question and, mm-hmm. you know, dig in, I wonder how much of that is around mitigating risk.
0: Oh, that's what I, you know, I mitigate risk for a living. Yeah, and that's absolutely what we do. Is we, and I, this is so interesting. I say to people, I, "Listen, that's fine." I'm saying, "Listen to what I have to say." It's so interesting. <laughs> that seems so I'm weird. weird. Seems I'm like on edge of but I tell clients when they're like, "Well, I want this to be as safe as it can. I want this buttoned up, bootstraps." I'm like, "Did you wear a helmet when you drove to here? You drove here today. This uh-huh. is when we're still meeting in person. Did you wear a helmet in the car?" They're like, "No." And I'm like, it would have been much safer if you wore a helmet in the car because then you'd be protected from head injury. (laughs) Because this is the thing. You can do so much to protect yourself and you've just got to decide when it's good enough. Yeah, exactly. Which was, I've always gone for,
1: like, we talk a lot about the quick B plus. Um, Yes, yes. I guess off lengths. I'm not sure I've said that before. Instead of, you know, an A. And I thought somebody else was said, um, what was that quote? Oh, done is better than perfect.
0: yes. You know, so again, I think that was another listener quotation done is better than perfect. Not taking a lot of time with decisions. That's your same thing as the B plus. Yeah. Just let's get the let's go for the quick. And I'm all for a B plus, please. Yeah. My children would not tell you that's true, but it is. (laughs) I'm all for a B (laughs) plus.
1: But I also it's a lot about what you know about yourself. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. if you've done some of the deep work to figure a lot of that out, then some decisions are, are easier. Yep. It's also what you believe to be true about the world. Yes, and I think this is where unconscious bias comes in, but mm-hmm. also things that we tell ourselves, abundance mentality, like how what do I do? I believe that things are inherently good
0: or bad. Or is, are there limits, etc. But also, do I understand what I can and can't control about yep. the world? Yep, yep, absolutely. I probably say that three times a day to clients. Well, you really can't control that. Well, you really can't control that. I seriously, I I'm I think I say it three times a day interesting Mm -hmm. all the time
1: yeah so again what do you believe about the world can you control that or not the one that i thought was really interesting we dug into a little bit with our listeners was what role does
0: age play self-limiting yeah what is it you're telling yourself about yourself or about the world that limits you Uh and her example was like who says you can't be a volunteer firefighter at 70 that's
1: right who says that yeah who says I can't live
0: in a house with stairs? Who says I can't? I mean, live at the top of a mountain with a windy, windy road, or whatever it happens to be. That's right. Who says I can't be sixty-five and a runner? Who well, says it, that?
1: That's right. And I, I want to say that for as far as women and work goes, that's the one of the most inspirational things that I see in the generation that's, that's, yes. that's coming up behind us. And I have to oh, say, yes. your daughter Hayden <laughs> does this all all the time. I'm like. You're right. Why not? Right. Why not? You know, and and I think that a lot of us women, especially of a particular age, I cannot believe I am 50. So great. is so great. Um rocket. I cannot wait. So yeah. great. Um, but you know, women of a certain age, we do, we, we grew up with a different set of understandings about the world. And those are the unconscious biases right. that we bring that restrict ourselves. So I want listeners to think, be thinking about like what do again, what do I know about myself to be true? What do I need? What makes me feel comfortable? And what can I call
0: bullshit on in the world? In the world. What is in the world that I can be like, this is not working for me, I'm not buying into it. The other thing I think about believing in the world is, do you believe there's a place for experimentation, right? Yeah, yeah. talk more about that. This is really an important one for me. Like sometimes you do something to try it. Sometimes it's a little decision or a big decision or a trial decision. And I love these decisions because experimentation is so important and it's about accepting the possibility of failure. That's right. And you know, I love that Meet the Robinsons kid. Yes, yeah, so, he's a scientist? Pixar. Or whatever, a Pixar. The scientist kid. He goes into his like new family. He's a he's an orphan, and he like blows up the entire place with his fancy new space gun. He's figure get whatever kind of like plasma gun. He's figured out, and you know he ruins the dinner, and everybody applauds him. Because he has succeeded. That's right. In figuring out what doesn't work. Yeah. So there's benefit in that. Yeah. Succeeding and, you know, sometimes figuring out what doesn't work is the success. So what did you start with? What was the point you made before you told the Robinson story? Experimentation. Yeah. So how how you feel about experimentation. And being ready for failure. That's right. And understanding that sometimes failure is about getting to success. Yeah. Like it's not quote unquote failure done over, game over. Yeah. yeah.
1: I also think about um, whether or not how you like whether or not you trust that you can handle yes. the bad the results, mm-hmm. and so again that's what you know about yourself and what you believe to be true about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, is it okay to fail? Is can I handle that failure? Can I trust the world to yeah. continue to provide, or you know, the universe to continue to provide to be safe to be safe mm-hmm. even after I do. Yeah. Um, what do you think, what, what would be, I don't know, one or two hints, like if someone is facing a decision,
0: okay. Harder, hard or or easy. So I, the, my favorite one from the, um, listener focus group was relax into your decision. And I will often tell clients after they've made a decision and I'm not sure they've read their, their final in it, go home, go to bed, wake up in the morning, tell me what you think, Mm -hmm. you know, and that idea of relaxing, into your decision. Yeah. I really love that. That sense of I'm, I've am i made the decision I'm comfortable with. I'm moving on. Uh,
1: yeah. And, and I loved that. I'm going to be okay. And also, but like, yeah, like think about it, think about it, think about it. But then go chill out for a while. You just
0: relax into it. Just give yourself a break. Yeah. Yeah. Just give yourself a break. Don't grind on it. There's no that that was the message that was that not grinding on things so mm-hmm. much, just relaxing into it. I also loved one of the listeners, and I'm not sure she would even say this, but the way I heard her talk during the listener session, I came away with her best decisions are when she connects her mind, her heart, and her body. Mm-hmm. I loved that. I was like, okay, so it's like when you get all three, you know, the lights go off, right? That's right. And I
1: think you can only do that when you sort of relax into something. If all you're doing is brain work, yeah. if all you're doing is perseverating. Just nice word usage. Oh, my perseverating. God. Perseverating. I've been Such waiting. A good word. I have been waiting. That's on the that. word of the episode. Is perseverating? it? Perseverating. Perseverating. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, go look it up if you don't know what it means. <laughs> I had to look it up at one point in my life, too. Um, and um, But, it, you know, that's all just brain work. And I think when I watch some of my clients think, 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 yeah. think, think, they're stuck. There's The record player is mm-hmm. just stuck in mm-hmm. their brain. And mm-hmm. we need to figure out how, like you said, connecting the heart and the, I was going to say gut, but it's a body. Okay. Connecting the heart and the body. Heart, mind, and I body. Said,
0: who knows how she would characterize it, but I think gut is part of body. The other thing I loved about our focus group was ignoring criticism.
1: Yeah, I loved that. Again, what do you know to be true? For yourself. You. Don't
0: let other people like tell you who you are, right? Yes. And there is, you know, we, we say that a lot in the show, and that's a big, I think, another big theme. And I, I can feel in my body that I've probably said that many times. But I think when it comes to decision making, wow, super important. hmm Yeah. Know who, you are. know who you are. I think also and ignore um, the criticism. Ignore the criticism. If you want to be a firefighter at 70? Go, you go for it. Yeah. Have at it. I might be actually, I was super inspired by that. I might decide to go be a firefighter. I was really, I love fire. Yeah. I like helping people. I like a little bit of adrenaline. I think it's a good fit for me. I don't see
1: why it's not <laughs> a good fit, but I would say what I know of the other people on that focus group, you know, they've also made giant leaps. Yes. moving their houses starting businesses closing yep. businesses mm-hmm. moving changing communities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, changing spouses hi, changing spouses hiring people that's mm-hmm. a big decision so again sort of settling it
0: in settling in doing the do you, and of course we had the one listener focused or one one listener who actually had to choose between three marriage proposals
1: That's for another episode I love that three in the same time frame three active proposals that's a on big the decision. table. She made it. I don't know how she juggled those three dudes, but way to go! Um, you know, final. My final thought on this is that the best way to m- get better at making decisions is to train that muscle
0: mm-hmm.
1: in your brain. Train your brain, and so I know on the trust your gut episode, we talked about this too. Start even starting small and treat like tra- like. It, Exercising that muscle. And be
0: willing, once you make the decision, to check into how that worked out. Yep. how that work out? What was the good and the bad from that? What did I learn from that? Not with every decision, obviously, but to just reflect back on different decisions and say, it's it's interesting that I there's rare I have very few things I'd like to redo. Mm-hmm. So I think it all does, you know, maybe that's my abundance mindset, but I think it all does generally work out.
1: It all generally works out. And you, you I wouldn't redo even the things I would call my mistakes because I learned great things. Yeah.
0: I, I am the, I am who
1: I am because of all of the experiences I've had. And I, I'm pretty awesome.
0: Yes, my friend.
1: <laughs> You're pretty awesome. Right. And pretty you are too. <laughs> um, okay. With that, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I want to decide right now to go have a cocktail i'm gonna decide to have a cocktail too <laughs> that was just really system one for me happy i know that was a system one i do never i'd never have to do a pros and cons list for for a manhattan um happy black history month yeah wrapping, yeah. wrapping that up yeah 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 thanks Brent. good work thanks listeners thank you take care Krina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Krina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork@gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>